Hello and welcome to Realms, a sci-fi and fantasy newsletter and podcast. I'm Zach Roush, the writer of this publication. You can sign up to get posts like this one, as well as short stories and shorter reviews, right in your inbox. Okay, Realm Walkers, here's a special review I'm calling a deep dive. Appropriately, I'll be analyzing the video game Alan Wake 2, a game with a story that's all about diving into stories and darkness. If you're not a gamer, that's alright. You might learn something new about games. And if what you read or hear draws your interest, here's a no-commentary playthrough of the game linked in the description. It's a fantastic game that will feel like watching a movie. If you're not familiar, Alan Wake 2 and its predecessor are survival horror games that resemble Stephen King novels brought to the video game medium. There's a haunted writer, an inimitable force of darkness, crooked cops, mysterious allies, and, of course, murder. Unlike any other games I've played, though, Alan Wake weaves in multimedia formats. There are live-action commercials and visual overlays, typewritten scripts, and more woven into the game. It's fascinating and adds complexity to what you see and experience. This multimedia element is something the developer, Remedy Entertainment, has used in its games to challenge the divide between video games and film. It's a visual treat and it works to draw in the player in new ways. And now, for the deep dive. First thing I want to discuss is how the mind place and the writer's room create deeper player experiences in Alan Wake 2. The world of Alan Wake has always concerned itself with the relationship between shadow and light, both in literal and metaphorical terms. What greater source of shadow and light is there than the human mind? And though every human being must deal with layers of their consciousness, there might be no better mentalists than writers and detectives. These two occupations are very concerned with light, darkness, and their borders. In Alan Wake 2, our main characters are Alan Wake, our writer, and Saga Anderson, an FBI detective. These characters must take deep dives into themselves to peel apart the many layers of things going on around them, sussing out the motivations of their peers and enemies, discovering truths hidden and forgotten, and striving to keep a hold of the light even when powerful forces threaten to steal it. In Alan Wake 2, Alan and Saga have their own tools for bending the world and shadows to their will, the writer's room and the mind place, respectively. These are perfect tools for players to take control of these characters and their supernatural abilities to rewrite and unpuzzle reality. The writer's room and the mind place put the player directly inside of the mind of our characters. You can walk around in these two places, interact with the objects and materials there, and find inspiration that affects the game outside their confines. This creates one of the most satisfying and interesting gameplay narrative interactions in my personal gaming history, and I'd argue in Remedy Entertainment's history as well. What's so brilliant about these tools is that they function within a believable scope of the game's universe. As mentioned above, we are explicitly concerned with the conflict between light and dark. Using the minds of our two heroes as a deeper layer to understand the game is but one method for dispelling the darkness. It's these tools that make Alan Wake 2 a fantastic, meaningful experience for players. Below, I discuss why this is true, and also offer ideas on how these tools might be incorporated more deeply into the game narrative. Okay, so let's talk about how the mind place creates emotional connections with a meta-narrative. The first Alan Wake game was fun and inventive, but it felt kind of stifled. Boiling it down, gameplay amounted to shooting droves of enemies to get to a safe place, listen to the some dialogue, and maybe get a cutscene. There was little for the player to do to get closer to Wake and understand his journey besides paying close attention to dialogue or poring over in-game documents. Alan Wake 2, in comparison, is nothing short of a quantum leap. 
For one, game levels are large and semi-open. Players have to explore them in a certain order, but they're large enough that it feels like you're discovering the path. Expanding playable areas alone would not be enough to create a meaningful game experience, however. It's only through the aforementioned writer's room and mind place that players can engage in a meaningful relationship with the story. So let's talk about Saga Anderson's mind place. Not only is the mind place a thematically interesting gameplay mechanic, but it's also designed to invite players to engage more deeply with the narrative. So as Saga, an FBI detective, one of your objectives is to put together clues and solve several mysteries. You do this by placing pictures of scenes and Saga's notes on the case board in a particular order to unlock deeper story insights. While filling out the case board, you get to hear Saga's thoughts and commentary, hence the meta-narrative. This is not common in narrative games in general. Many games don't bother with these things, as most players just want to get back to playing the game, i.e. shooting and looting. You might have characters that make comments to themselves or have personal notes on quests, but these minor details alone do not reveal an entire character. That's just one of the confining elements when developing narratives for video games. It's a visual medium. To explore a character deeply, you need large volumes of dialogue and text. And here's what's amazing about Alan Wake 2. The game gives us both, but in digestible doses. Items on the case board and other lore items, for example, are easy to read. Take The Witcher 3 as a counterexample. That game is full of lore and dialogue, which suits conventions in the fantasy RPG genre, but there's a daunting amount of each. The dialogue can be verbose. The lore documents and journal entries are very long, and the text cannot be scaled to legible sizes on console. The mind place offers that sweet spot of narrative intrigue and digestibility. As you unravel the mysteries in Saga's mind, you begin to think how she thinks. You learn where clues should go and how they fit together in the scheme of things. You begin to look for more opportunities to fill the gaps, uncovering clues just so you can see deeper into the narrative. In the latter half of the game, players discover that Saga's story is more deeply intertwined with the game world than previously thought possible. This element raises the stakes of the game, making the mind place even more crucial to both Saga and the player's success. The stakes increase because the mind place has created an emotional connection between the story and the player, not just by putting elements on the case board, but also by showing what and whom Saga cares about. Thus, we have something much more substantial than your typical linear narrative. We have one that teaches what Saga cares about and why we as a player should care about those things too. Okay, so let's talk about how the writer's room and the mind place provide character player agency. So like I said before, most players just want to stay in the action. Alan Wake 1 keeps you there relentlessly. Alan Wake 2 does not. It emphasizes narrative complexity and rewards players for spending more time in the writer's room and mind place. How does Remedy do that without sacrificing player interest? It makes players do all the work and rewards them for doing so. In both the writer's room and mind place, it is players who must put the pieces together. I've explained this already for the mind place. You take clues and put them in the right order to unlock more story and action. In the writer's room, however, this works a bit differently. Alan Wake, as a writer, uses a plot board to uncover his own story. At times when playing as Alan, the player will hit a dead end, sometimes literally. There will be physical obstacles in their way. Alan can remove these obstacles, but only if the player can discover new plot elements and apply them in the writer's room. These change the navigable map in real time. After spending some time in the same map area, there will be multiple plot elements the player can place on the plot board. 
These affect the world in different ways, allowing the player to advance and unlock additional areas. With multiple plot elements available, it's not always easy to find the way forward. That's just the nature of Alan's story. Both Alan and the player have to discover the correct series of events to advance. Besides moving the story forward, Remedy rewards players who explore every possibility with items, lore, and upgrades. And it seems so simple. To get the player more involved with the story, turn the story making into a mechanic. To get the player to enjoy this mechanic, provide visually striking design and also in-game rewards. It's these two details that transform this mechanic from chore to delight. Sure, the fancy plot board could just unlock a door, or it could change the entire level before the player's eyes. The player could simply advance the story, or they might discover a 10-minute in-game film. Players are thus encouraged to play the game as much as possible to see all possible variations of the story that Alan Wake can conjure. In this way, Alan Wake's superpower is also the player's. They are aligned in their actions and rewarded for their persistence. So let's tie the writer's room and the mind place together. Let's talk about player choice and how it's a double-edged sword. While the mind place and writer's room are fantastic gameplay elements, they do have their weaknesses. For one, Saga's mind place has more layers and offers more interaction than Alan's writer's room. Secondly, there's very powerful narrative distance when interacting these places due to the constraints of the linear narrative. I think both issues can be fixed with simple solutions that could deepen the narrative and offer more choice to players. Saga's mind place has multiple interactive areas where players can interact with her as a character. There's the case board, a desk where she can see into other characters' minds through her insights, another where she can read fragments of manuscripts, a TV for in-game live-action ads, a radio for lore and news, and many mementos from her life that let players learn more about her. Alan, in comparison, only has the plot board, a TV, and a desk with a typewriter that's non-interactive. There's simply more to do in Sokka's mind place than in Alan's equivalent space. I will admit that this does have narrative precedent, as the writer's room, unlike the mind place, exists in another dimension entirely. Also, Alan has amnesia and doesn't remember his life in the real world. The imbalance between these two places is too strong, though. Primarily because the player can get to know Saga so much more deeply than they can Alan. It would be easy to argue that there's no need for better balance, as Alan is the primary character in the first game. I disagree. The first game doesn't provide much in terms of character depth for Alan. His motivations for stopping the darkness and saving his wife are surface level. He's doing these things because the darkness is bad and he loves his wife. That's it. I think Alan Wake 2 should delve deeper into Alan himself for better narrative balance and provide something as emotionally potent as Saga's story. Speaking of Saga, while everything I said about player and character agency in the mind place is true, it's also a point of weakness. When trying to put clues together, players will not always get it right the first time. Saga responds to these attempts with dialogue like, that doesn't feel right. This can occur for every clue that's found. Not only can this get annoying, but it can also encourage a try it till it's right approach. You can simply place clues in every available spot until it works and the game allows you to advance. And once you finish the game, you'll find that there are only a few mysteries on the caseboard that are necessary to progress. Essentially, in many cases, this crucial game mechanic is optional. Also, once a player advances beyond certain plot points, the clues will automatically sort themselves onto the board. Remedy probably made this optional so players weren't forced into something that could feel like a chore, 
yet I think this decision devalues the player's work of putting the case together. On balance, my issue is not with the linear narrative. I love it. But the execution of these mechanics puts players at risk of falling out of the narrative and treating it like something to grind through. I propose these fixes. One is to reduce Saga's commentary when clues are not in the right place. Number two, I would like it to be possible for clues to go in different places, even when it's wrong. Later on, when the player has more information, they can be prompted to reorganize the clues. Thirdly, and this one is a bit more resource intensive, would be to incentivize player interaction with the mind place further by giving more dialogue options with characters when clues are tied together. As it stands, once you exhaust dialogue options with characters, they're gone. Even when you find more clues and connect the dots more, there's maybe one or two opportunities I can think of where you get to interact with a character again after putting clues together. And finally, and this might be more personal, I think completing the case board should be mandatory for completing the story. It's an amazing mechanic that Remedy should double down on, not bend over backwards for player choice. So now that we've talked about the mind place, let's talk about Alan's writer's room. I think there's a lot of real estate for interactive elements to reveal more of what's going on with Alan. Here I see a huge opportunity to explore the game's themes through him too. We know from the first game that Alan had a creative block and became depressed as a result. He turned to drinking and became an angry person, and that made his marriage suffer. But that's really all we know about him. I'm thinking, what if his lore documents explored his feelings of helplessness, as well as his need for control over his world? What if we explored his past beyond the first game? Where did he get the desire to write detective novels in the first place? A simple fix would be a desk in the writer's room where players can sift through incomplete manuscripts or journal entries found when playing as Alan. These pieces of lore could detail Alan's emotions toward getting back to the real world, and even flesh out his motivations for saving his wife. But that's the least that can be done. I'd also suggest uh, adding mementos and more like what players can find in Sokka's mind place. These items wouldn't conflict with Alan's amnesia at all, which is narrative necessary, and would be a boon for players. What if, for example, there's an empty bottle of Alan's favorite whiskey, and on it an inscription, forgetting those creative juices flowing again, Barry Wheeler. Alan would react with, to this with dialogue, saying, a drink doesn't sound so bad. Here's another idea, an old film camera. It's bottom engraved with, for Alice, don't you stop going down the rabbit hole. Through this analysis, you, like me, might see that there are other narrative weak points. Perhaps the reason Alan Ryder's room does not have the elements I mentioned is because he's not truly evil on the inside, or, in other words, the writers do not present him to be. The darkness that Alan and Saga faces is an external force, not a personal one. Another thing, Alan wears his flaws on his sleeve. He's flighty and intense. His ego is huge. But how come, through all of his journey, he never deals with these things? Or you might see in a Stephen King novel that the forces of darkness enhance a character's inner, personal demons. In Alan Wake 2, the darkness doesn't touch the soul. It doesn't make anyone evil, truly. It just takes over their mind and soul and makes them into monsters that must be vanquished, rather than people monsters that must be redeemed. I will say that DLC is coming out for Alan Wake 2. 
Perhaps as the story expands, we'll see the darkness explored in more personal ways that relate to our heroes. Maybe the narrative will gain a deeper resonance than there already is. I really hope so. And to wrap this up, Alan Wake 2 is a really fantastic game with a really wonderful narrative, and I think everyone should play. This game intertwines gameplay and narrative in fascinating and very satisfying ways. Critiques aside, Alan Wake 2 offers a visceral experience that serious narrative holics will find particularly enjoyable. I didn't get into the amazing visuals or the multimedia format in this game, but it really is a visual treat. This game just has a way of drawing you into the story and doesn't let you go until the credits roll. The gameplay is fun, the characters on the whole feel original and fleshed out. Even with themes as lofty as defeating true darkness, Alan Wake 2 succeeds in delivering a grounded, emotional experience due to Remedy's smart and effective gameplay tools. And this game is something I'm going to play over and over until I find every last shred of story. I might try to 100% this one. We'll see. And that's it for the Realms Deep Dive. Thank you so much for reading or listening to it. This is a really special article taking a closer look at something I'm really passionate about. So if you enjoyed it, please share it with someone else, someone who loves games, or you can subscribe to get the next story, review, or deep dive directly in your inbox. There's always a text and audio version. And until next time, Realm Walkers, you're reading and listening to Realms.